And then as time progressed, you know, I realized what Bayview was and River West. But then that's all a lot of people knew. That was it. And so when I started to branch out and see, you know, there's a hundred plus neighborhoods in this city, you know, um, and it's, it's and each of them are really different, you know, that uh, whether, you know, you're talking about uh, Indiris Park or you're talking about Jackson Park or you're talking about Washington Heights, you know, um, Valhalla. I mean, there's some great neighborhoods in the city and people are always, you know, what I've seen is people tend to stay to what they know, you know, and if people need to get out and see what's going on, because this is the city more than just what's going on, you know, downtown. Hey everyone, it's your host Richie Burke, and thank you so much for tuning into the Go Getters podcast, the show that highlights leaders making a difference and tackles the topics that are going to help move our city forward. Just a reminder that this podcast is made possible by On Milwaukee and Go Get It Marketing and Media ggmm.io we would really appreciate if you help support the podcast by sharing episodes leaving reviews and heading to ggpodcast.org to suggest the guests and topics that you want to hear thanks again for tuning in and enjoy the show hey everyone welcome to this episode of the go-getters podcast today we have legendary milwaukeean judge Derek mosley in the building He's currently the city of Milwaukee municipal court judge where he has 430 cases to try today. Uh, just to hear today. I'm just not to trying hear, them just all to hear. Today. Yeah. That would be a long time. Man. But nice enough to take some time out of his day, drop down to our studio. He also serves on the boards of the Urban Ecology Center, the Medical Society of Milwaukee County Trans Center for Youth, the Y, Safe and Sound, and the United Way. He's a wedding officiator. Yes, sir. Soon to officiate Ian Abstin's wedding. Yep, that can't I'm wait. Soon. I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> <laughs> and he became the youngest African-American judge ever in the state of Wisconsin at the age of 31. That's correct. That's correct. It's kind of hard to believe now. Now I'm the most senior person on the city bench, which is crazy <laughs> when you think about it. Well, Dan, thanks so much for coming down. I appreciate it. It's my pleasure, you. man. Thanks for having me. So out of, out of everything you're doing, other than officiating Ian's wedding coming up, what are, what are you most <laughs> excited about right now? Wow. So I guess the thing I'm most excited about, Ian's wedding's up there. It is up there, I'll be honest with you. But probably the most excited thing I'm looking forward to is just, um, you know, I really do enjoy doing weddings. I'm going to be honest with you. Um, the thing about me and doing weddings is that in my job, my everyday job, yeah, you know, you deal with a lot of heavy stuff, right? And stuff that includes people going to jail and um, sometimes families being separated. So I enjoy weddings. I enjoy summer because uh, at this time of year, the wedding season is crazy in Wisconsin because, you know, we don't have so many days. Well, it's nice weather to do it. So actually, to be truthful, I'm looking forward to wedding season in full steam because, you know, my day job could get pretty heavy. And so it's nice to go to a wedding where everybody's happy, everybody's having a good time, nobody wants to kill you. You know, it's actually pretty nice. I, I can imagine. So speaking of your day job, you becoming the youngest African-American judge in the state of Wisconsin at age 31. How did that happen and what kind of what kind of adversity did you have to face to get get there? Yeah, man. So that, that was crazy because um, I, I think what happened for me was the whole fact that I, I you know, I didn't tell a lot of people who my age was. And so... When I was um, I was a prosecutor prior to becoming a judge, so I was uh, uh, a prosecutor for the uh, Milwaukee County Assistant District Attorney. So I had uh, my last stint was in the drug unit. So I did a lot of drug cases, and 
Um, I also started a program in the DA's office called the Community Prosecution Unit. And basically what that did to us, and it's still going on today, is prosecutors weren't going downtown to work in the office. We worked out of the community. So we had an office in the police station. We had an office at a community uh, group's uh, headquarters. And we actually focused on things going on in the community. And the program became such a success that, you know, I got to meet a lot of people. And I decided at that point I'm going to make a run for the bench. Uh, the seat that I have was was held by um, a former Supreme Court Justice Lewis Butler. So when he left, it was a wide open seat, and so I just uh, put my name in and was appointed by the Common Council and then have run several times after that to maintain the seat. Yeah. And in your job, so you you make a lot of hard decisions. You say it can be the best and worst thing about your job as you impact people's life. How do you, how do you almost come compartmentalize how – you know, be being fair, but also being right and wanting to help people move forward and making those tough calls. Right. You know, so that's probably the the hardest part about the job. I mean, um, you know, uh, being a city judge, which is different from being a county judge, is all the trials are to you. So there's no jury. Every trial is to you. And so um, you are the ult- ultimate arbiter of, of the facts, the law, and everything. And so um, it's tough and it's tough and you just pull through all your life experiences, you know, everything you've gone through in life, uh, people, you know, what they've gone through and then just the experience being in the system. I mean, my whole career has been in criminal justice. So, um, and even before that, my, you know, my whole life has been part of criminal justice. And so it's sort of just like, um, trying to do what you think is fair, trying to treat people with respect. Like, like you said, when we started, I have 432 cases this afternoon. To the person in front of me, they don't care that I have 432 cases. All they care about is the one case I'm handling right now that's theirs. Okay, and so I have to treat my job that way, that each person coming in front of me cares less about what came before them or what came after them. All they care about is what's going on right now. So I focus on one case at a time. Mm-hmm. Does it ever get? Do you ever get tired of it or are you kind of locked in the whole time just because you have to make these important calls? I mean, a lot of people at their jobs, they can, they can get bored, they can go by pretty slowly, or you just kind of – in and out or some days longer than the others. Sure. Um, here's the best part about my job. So I'll have this afternoon, I have a huge calendar, 430 some cases. The first case will be a parking ticket. The second case will be a, a guy who stole some stuff from target. The third case will be, um, a case where, a, 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 two neighbors, someone built a fence over on their property, you know, a zoning case. So each case is different. So it's not like, you know, I'm a drug court, where all I hear are drug cases, you know, there's only so many ways you can possess marijuana. Right. Right. So it gets old after a while, but when you have this variety of cases that goes on, everything is different. So it makes it kind of exciting, actually. Um, A little piece I'm going to give you that of all the cases I've ever handled, either as a DA or as a judge, nobody fights harder than people with parking tickets (laughs) fight to the death. It's, it's hardcore. Save that 20 bucks, man. It's unbelievable. It's unbelievable. So you mentioned um, you mentioned drawing on your life experiences. Just a few years ago, you had a kidney transplant. Sure, you yep. were you were on dialysis for two years, seven days a week, ten hours a day. Correct. I read an article. I think the Milwaukee Independent. Um, yeah. Shout out to Lee Matz. They do a great Love job Lee over Matz. there. Great work there. Yes. Um, you What's only, up, Lee? <laughs> you only missed two days of doing that. What was that experience like, and how did it change your perspective on life? Yeah, so uh, first let me tell you what those two days were. So my first day that I missed, um, my donors 
son was getting married, and the wedding was up in Ashland, Wisconsin. And I forgot a cord that hooked my uh, dialysis machine to me. And I'm in Ashland. And so everybody's like, no, we don't know, we don't know where you can get that from. So I missed um, that one day, which is funny because my donor is the one giving me the kidney, and it was her son's wedding. And the second one was the day before my transplant. My machine just conked out on me. Really? Yeah. It was. I mean, it's just crazy after doing all this time. So that was uh, that was a process. So I, like I said, I've been in criminal justice all this time, and I'm gonna tell you right now, there is nothing worse than dialysis. For me, there was nothing worse than spending ten hours a day on a machine every single day of the week. I mean, your night started when you got hooked up at seven. And you're not getting off of that thing till five thirty, six o'clock in the morning. Um, so, wait, so do you? It's a machine, correct? You have tubes in you or in your correct? Yep. I I, um, I did what was called peritoneal dialysis. So there was a, I had a port like in my stomach, and so it all ran through my stomach into the machine, and so. You had to sleep on your back because if you moved, you could pull the cord out or you could kink the cord. So it was too, it was, I got, I got used to sleeping on my back. So when the surgery was over, I couldn't wait to turn over on my side and on my uh, stomach to sleep. But yeah, and the machine's there with you all night. And so, so that happens to you. That have you got on dialysis when you got diagnosed for end stage renal disease. Okay. Yep. I got the doctor told me that my kidneys uh, were functioning uh, below twenty percent. So, and would you have been on your back the rest of your life until you got that donation? Oh, yes. Ten hours a day, correct? And, and or the, tra- transplant, the transplant. Sure. Yeah. So, so what happens is uh, once you get placed on the uh, transplant list, um, you know you're on like a regular list. You just wait till they, you get the call. So you prepare as if you're waiting for the call to come. But right now the list is three to five years long, and. Um, my doctor was like, you know, you need to find somebody or because you need a transplant because this list is three to five, and I don't know if we're going to make three to five. And so um, that kind of is an eye-opening experience at that point when you're like, man, everything's just starting to happen for me, and I'm being told that I, I might not even have three to five. So it's a – yeah, it was a process. It's a process. Yeah, it would. What was that what was that like mentally for you? You're really you're a really active guy. You work really hard. You're involved in all these boards, and you kept you kept that up. I saw you had to give up, you know, teaching as an adjunct, but you know, you yeah. kept your day job. Right? How how tiring was that? How did you push through? How? Well, you know, the thing is, anything that happened at night, I couldn't do anymore. So that was you know, teaching at the law school or uh, guest lecturing in the evenings. I could not do that anymore because I had to be hooked up to the machine. So I have two daughters, you know, they're playing sports, you know, the practices and games are at night. It, it, it made it really difficult. Um, mentally, like I said, I threw myself into weddings, like I talked about, because um, it was a place where everybody was happy. And so I would go to a wedding and everyone's smiling and having a good time and they're happy. And it made me forget for that period of time, made me forget about the fact that as soon as I leave here, I'm going to hook up to a machine. And And, you know, the worst part for me was I was like, in the house, but really not a part of my family, you know, um, you know, my wife and two kids, you know, they were having their days. They were running around downstairs cause I had the machine in my bedroom. So they're downstairs, you know, playing and playing cards and playing games, watching TV and, uh, hanging out and I'm upstairs hooked up to the machine. So I get my 10 hours in. So you almost felt like you weren't part of what was going on. So, um, that was tough each night. 
you know, because I'm I'm hooked up before they're going to bed, and yeah. I'm in the bed already waiting waiting for the the process to start. Yeah, and then can you can you touch on the the transplant, your donor, how that all came to be? Yeah, so my my donor is actually a judge in Waukesha. She's the judge in the town of Brookfield, and uh, she's also my, one of my best friends. And so I actually um, called her after I got the diagnosis, and I said, "Hey, you know, I need a kidney." Uh, or I'm, you know, or I'm going to die. They're going to put me on the transplant list, but I need to get a kidney. And she said, "Oh, you know, I'll go get tested." And so I thought it was kind of funny because she's like this little bitty tiny white woman, you know. And I'm just like, "No, there's no way your kidney's going to be able to function in, in me because I'm a big guy." And uh, she's like, "Well, I'm going to go get tested. Let's see what's up." So I'm like, "All right, you, all right, you go get tested, all right." And then, um, and lo and behold, she came back a perfect match, which is crazy. And um. And then we started this process. And um, at that point, um, I got prepped. She got prepped. Uh, the surgery total was about six hours or so. Um, and then in a week, I was out. And one week after the transplant, I'm back home. You're and, good. You know, it was unbelievable. You know, um, my, my, uh, I had a grandmother who had a kidney transplant, and she was in the hospital for a long period of time. And um now i mean literally one week i was out the door shout out to freighter by the way yeah yep that's awesome um shifting over to milwaukee you've, yeah. you've basically seen and heard everything you could in the city over the last several oh, cool. decades did you yeah. grow up here have you been here? no before? no i i've been here since 92 so yeah I might as well say so like the last yeah. 30 yeah. years almost yep. 25 yep. 25 years um you you were quoted, and I tend to agree with this. The city paints a bad image of itself, kind of internally in some ways, and our outside perspective can be anywhere from dangerous to irrelevant to you know Correct. manufacturing rust belt, a number of things, and they don't really see the beauty or innovation or positivity going on mm-hmm. in the city. You were quoted saying, you know, to the average person, if they only watch the evening news about Milwaukee, they'd think it's the worst place. They'd be shot if they came to the city. No one cares here and everyone's lazy. That's not my experience. I don't see lazy people. I see people struggling to make it and they're doing the best they can. And I I kind of agree with that too. I've I've never felt uh, good after turning on the news and watching no, it for, no, for the first five minutes. I, I, I know it's, right? it's it's sad how you know poor of a picture it, it paints for itself. And that was kind of one of the reasons behind this podcast was to highlight people doing you know inspirational things in the city as well as talk about some of the complex issues that we face. Um, right. So, I I didn't know this, Richie. So I'm like yeah. I'm not a native Wisconsinite, and so um, I teach all around the state uh, other judges who are um, you know in different courts all throughout the state. And I've met a lot of people who had never been to Milwaukee. And I just found it, I found it odd, you know. It's like the biggest city in the state and this economic engine and, you know, we're right on the lake and the brewers and bucks play here. And I'm like, no, I've never been there, you know. And had no desire because they, you know, if you live five hours away from Milwaukee and all you know about Milwaukee is what you see on the news – Hell, I wouldn't come. You know, I, I, I grew I grew up in Madison, um, and I was a huge Bucks fan. So I'd drag my dad to take me to some of those games when they were terrible in the you know in the nineties <laughs> before they got really before good for a little really while. Good, yep. Yeah, so and then I even more so want, dragged him to take me to those games. But I I remember we I remember thinking the city was very dangerous growing up. That's kind of the perspective yeah. I had as a I mean I was younger, but I was in Madison, and we'd you know we'd we'd drive in, we'd park in the parking ramp, go to the Bradley Center. 
go home and that was kind of our experience going to right. a lot of those games so i and i think you know the whole madison milwaukee relationship can be a different discussion as well the yeah. cities don't really work as well together as they probably should and it's you know a lot of madisonians aren't coming here and kind of right vice versa right yeah and, and i'm actually guilty of that because I, I i need to go to madison more than i um than i am um actually i should be at madison a lot more but so when i came when i came here um all i knew was i, I lived you know i lived uh not too far i live on 20th in wisconsin when i first got here right and so all i knew about milwaukee was marquette's campus yep um and then the east side and even then when i got here I, no one really i didn't really know what bayview was and so and then as time progressed, you know, I realized what Bayview was and River West. But then that's all a lot of people knew. That was it. And so when I started to branch out and see, you know, there's a hundred plus neighborhoods in this city, you know, um, and it's it's and each of them are really different, you know. That uh, whether you know you're talking about uh, Indiris Park or you're talking about Jackson Park or you're talking about Washington Heights, you know, um, Valhalla. I mean, there's some great neighborhoods in the city. Mm-hmm. And people are always, you know, what I've seen is people tend to stay to what they know, you know. And if people need to get out and see what's going on, because this this city's more than just yeah. what's going on, you know, downtown. Right. And you talk about Marquette. I remember being a student at Marquette. Mm-hmm. That was when I came to the city and a lot of students you know it's it's campus and then you go to bars on third street and water street and, and then, then you go to bradford beach in the summer and that was it that's it and that's it and that's all and you know what's so funny and that's all everybody knew about milwaukee right you know and uh i <laughs> got a funny story which i had a great perception of it i, right, I enjoyed all point, those places <laughs> but I, I did not give i did not get very well diversed in, I, the, I, in the city right and i it wasn't actually until i needed to get a haircut that i realized i was like <laughs> where are all the black people where, you know, and so I gotta get a haircut, you know? And so, um, yeah, it just opens up a whole new area. And I was like, yeah, I'm gonna go get my haircut. Where are you going to get your haircut? I'm like, Oh, I get my haircut, you know, off of King drive. Like, Oh, off of King drive. I'm like, <laughs> yeah, man, off of King drive. Oh man. Yeah, for sure. How, um, how do you think the city could better almost brand itself, you know, maybe even internally and externally? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, you know, I, I don't know. I've never met. I mean, there's so many people who. Let's put it this way: the city has a lot of people who are quick to say bad things about it, right? And so that's why I love this what you're doing here. I love the things that on Milwaukee are doing, and uh, we talked about uh, Lee over at Milwaukee Independent. People who are putting out stories about Milwaukee because we don't have the best press agent. The city doesn't, but all the bad has like the best press agent. That's the one thing about my job is that everybody knows all the bad that's happened here. And I'm like, how do all these defendants have the greatest press agent in the history of media? But um, we need to do a better job as a city to um, pub what we do great. Pub what's great about this city. Um, like I talked about, pub to the neighborhoods. There are neighborhoods that do a great job with it. Bayview does a great job with it. River West does a great job with it. Um, but we need to pub our – Washington Heights actually does a great job with it. We need to pub our neighborhoods, pub our people, I mean our dining scene, our nightlife, you know, things that go on in the lake. We need to pub that. So once we pub that, then people see it 
and they want to come here. They want to experience it. My friends from Chicago love Milwaukee. Absolutely love it. And um, I think that's the general norm. I mean, it seems like more people outside of Milwaukee love it than inside, inside the state. Yeah, it is. Even all of I had a buddy from California come up and he came up during the summer. I got him from the airport. I think we went right to like Bradford beach and went to the bar on the beach and he was like, holy shit, this is not Milwaukee right. at all. <laughs> right. That's what, or then we went to a rooftop bar after that yep. and he was like, this place is amazing. I and people not, don't understand I did not that. Picture this. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think, you know, like I said, the number of groups that are out here that are trying to pub the city, I, I love it because we need more of that because the city is, the city is, it could, it's dynamic. It is absolutely dynamic. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, we need to tell the good stories. It's kind of a shame that the time we're in the national news, it's the Sterling Brown oh, incident it's, and this it's, other right, stuff. Which right, is, and it's yeah, we had a, we had a run of really bad press, a right? Yep, a really bad press. But I do. You look at all the development. And you, I mean, the stuff the Bucks are doing in general. You see Giannis on sixty minutes. There, there's an example of like great press that yep. we wouldn't have gotten without them that you know puts us on the map in a positive light to an extent you you better believe it you better believe it and um you know there there are such there are so many great things that are happening here um but the thing that i think that we need to focus on is that more development throughout the city you know i mean downtown is great and it's, it's starting to blow up and everybody wants to be a part of it but if we could just push that out a little bit and ex- have more people in the city experience that, I think that will go a long way as well. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I love this do place. You, do you, uh, yeah, me too. Do you, do, you, uh, do you see progress there? You've been around for a while. Yeah. I mean, I know uh, near West Side's developing. You look at, is it the, the Phoenix development? Um, yes, part of Sherman Park. A, Sherman Park, yeah, mm-hmm. where there's, a, I think it's an incubator, like 30 yep. minority-run businesses going yep. on in there. Um, so you see that stuff. There's, po- there's some positive that I see right away. Do you do you feel a sense that we're moving in the right direction in a good way, maybe not fast enough? What is your you take hit it. on that? You hit it. We are moving in the right direction, but we are clearly not moving fast enough, Richie. We need uh, I, I like the things that are happening, but you know, why does it have to take tragedy for those things to happen? Remember, the whole Phoenix arose out of the fact that, you know, Phoenix rises out of the ashes. That's because <laughs> Literally, it burned it down. Name, right. Right, right. Right. And so uh, why do we have to wait till bad things happen? Why can't we just get on top of this beforehand? I think slowly and surely we're trying to do this. There's some great things going on. Uh, you talked about West, the West Side, um, the, the whole Walnut Way. I mean, there's some great things going on. We just need yeah, to get unf- ahead unfortunately, of Unfortunately, that's almost human nature in a way, right? You hit rock bottom, and then that's the wake-up call. You need to, to bounce back to, yeah. to a certain extent. It's that's true. Like, that's true. You're absolutely right. I'm not saying that. that's right at all. It's actually not, but... You, are, you know, and then and then there are people who are just at at that high level, progressing all the all the time and doing great things. So yeah, yep. hopefully we'll see more of that. So um, you're on all those boards. You got wedding officiating, Black History Connoisseur. I got yeah. to see you speak at Rotary a couple of years ago. Yep, it was that's, really. I'm glad you liked it, man. I did. I, I'm glad you liked it. Those are great stories. They need to get out. I'm glad I'm able to tell them to people. Yeah. You told a lot yeah. of unique stories yeah. as well, the ones that I hadn't heard. Also, adjunct professor. Are you still doing that over at Marquette? Or you- yeah. So I, I haven't gotten back into it since the transplant. Uh, it's funny that once once uh, the tra- I said, I'm going to do all this stuff once the transplant, I have the transplant, and then I have the transplant, and I'm, I am I got too many things going, right? right. So uh, my next, my next um, 
my next thing I'm going to do is I'm trying to do this traveling law school uh, where I go around from neighborhood to neighborhood. I'm trying to go from every aldermanic district, every police district, and just tell the law for everyday human beings, right? So in the communities of color, we're the last to always find out about how laws are changed, uh, what are new laws. And so my goal is to go from neighborhood to neighborhood and have these little sessions where the community can come in. I'm going to tell you, here are the new laws that you need to be aware of. This is what you have to do from now on. This is what you have to watch out for. Just so people are more connected to the system. Uh, some of the problems that we have are people don't feel like they're part of the system or they don't know what's going on. And so my idea is to try to bring that all together. So that's my next. So I'm not going to be doing any more adjunct teaching at universities. I'm going to do more adjunct teaching in neighborhoods. Mm-hmm. It's really cool you're doing that. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. I can't wait. Because, yeah. um, you know, we are people of color, uh, communities of color are always the last to, to realize what's going on. Yeah, and in a different thing I read, you talked about, I think this was in the medical community, you talked yeah. about a lack of trust between people of color and the the medical system. You Obviously, clearly you see a lack of trust with people of color in the police department with you know everything that's came out over the last two years, and it's been happening for a long, long before that, but sure. the media's really strung onto it as of recently. Um, and then you got Milwaukee being the most segregated city yeah. in, in the U.S., yeah, yeah, I, yeah. <laughs> I know it's an extremely complex problem. Do you think there's, a, you know, what you just mentioned, the you know, traveling law school, teaching, stuff like that, are there any ways that you could recommend that people start taking small steps to help, help bridge that gap? Yeah, so uh, <laughs> I, I talked about this uh, a while ago with Tariq Moody over 88.9. Yeah. And um, the one thing that everybody has in common is we all like to eat, right? Everybody likes to eat. So... Um, we talked about why don't we just do these dinners around town, you know, have them in different neighborhoods so that one people get to know that this is the Amani neighborhood or, you know, this is Washington Heights or this is, you know, Granville station. There are all these different neighborhoods, you know, in the city and have, have it in the neighborhood and just invite a diverse group of people to sit down and just eat and just talk. So have a topic and the topic like you, you and I are talking about mm-hmm. right now. So how do we improve police-citizen relations? And just have people discuss. Um, the one thing about the city, because you talked about the segregation part of the city, one thing about the city is that we have blacks, whites, Latinos, Asians, everybody in the city, but you rarely see a lot of mixing of everybody together in, in right. groups at events. And so let's get a diverse group of people to sit down, fellowship over food, and just talk about Milwaukee and what are the problems, what are the solutions. Um, you, you say, you say you don't see a lot of people mixing at those events. I see, you know, I think I'm in, I'm in some groups where, I mean, it's mostly white people, but there are African-Americans, Asians, Latinos and whatnot. But you look at the landscape of Milwaukee and it's like, okay, South is where the Latinos Latinos live. You got the North side where African-Americans live. The East is predominantly white. Are these people not, I mean, it's kind of hard for them to mingle together if they're, in all these different areas, right? I right. think there's certain, you know, events and sports that can bring people together, but do you but, have any, do you have any solutions right. on that? Or is that <laughs> right? Well, well, that was our whole thing is that we can get people together to talk about and realize that we have more in common than we are apart. Right. You know, and the thing that woke that up for me is this whole transplant situation, right? So here's this tiny little white woman from Brookfield and you got me, I live on the North side of Milwaukee and you're like, we don't have anything in common. What do we have in common? I mean, she's my best friend, but physically we look totally different. Mm-hmm. But, you know, both our kidneys are pink. 
right? And her kidney is now keeping me alive. And so conversations like that that you could have around the table, I, I, I tell people this all the time. If I didn't sit down and talk and know her and get to know her and get to know her family and our families get to know each other, I wouldn't have gotten this kidney, right? right. right? Yeah. And so if, if I limit myself and not broaden the people in my circle of friends, then I'm hurting myself as a person. And medically, it could have literally killed me. Right. So, yeah. Right. So you need to come to these dinners. We got to get you on this invite for these you dinners. Get on the guest list. You better we'll believe be that. it. You'd be perfect. <laughs> um, you do. You do so much. You just look at everything you have going on right now, and even everything when you're on dialysis. What What motivates you to do all that? Is there something sure deeper? You okay. Know? So I'm, I'm gonna tell you a story. This all is right. the This is the story that got me going on this whole thing, Richie. So, um, I was a prosecutor. I had uh, just become a prosecutor. You know, I mean, you know, twenties. My first job. I got a little money in my pocket, and I mean, little money in my pocket, right? Because DAs don't make a lot of right. money. And um, I'm out of children's court. I'm a DA at children's court, and I'm handling a bunch of cases. And I had a case of a young man who, in a situation, he was just a lookout in a situation. And um, I'm handling his case, and the case is over. I think he gets probation, and I'm leaving. His mom stops me and says. Hey, I would really love it if you would um, mentor my son. And I said, Yeah, yeah, sure, sure. You know, you know, I'm 25. I'm like, I'm gonna hit the clubs. I ain't, I ain't here for all this, right? And so she's like, Here's my number. Give him a call. And I'm like, Okay. So I take the number down, get to my office, I throw it on my desk, and I don't do anything else about it, right? Um, fast forward four months later, in there for a case, in comes this kid again. Now he's a little bit. More involved. He's, he went from a lookout to now not doing anything in particular except he's in the room where the stuff's happening, right? So so he's getting more serious. We handle the case, um, and as I'm walking out of the courtroom, his mom comes up to me again. She's like, you know, we met a couple months ago. I asked if you'd mention my son, and you said you would. I never heard from you. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, I'm so sorry. I apologize. I'll, you know, I'll, 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 I'll get back to you. Um, let me get your number again. So I take her number, throw it on my desk. Completely slips my mind, right? Because like I said, I wasn't focused on any of that. So then I, I'm sitting home on a Sunday. I'm drinking coffee, reading a newspaper, reading a newspaper, and there's this homicide that take, takes place in this neighborhood. Um, and uh, and it was this kid. So it was the kid that the mom kept yeah. saying to me, you need to mentor this kid. And it, it, it happened the way, it, you know, he wasn't always the main perpetrator, but he... His mom was still a powerful force in his life. And so the, the guys that they did this crime with together didn't like that and were scared they were going, he was going to rat him out, so they killed him. So that had a profound effect on me um, in the sense that here's this woman who came to me twice and said, I really need you to help my son. And I was too caught up in my own life and what I was about that I, I did not engage um, her or him and – it ultimately cost him his life. Yeah. And so I think to myself, at that young age, I think he might have been 17. You know, he could have been anything, doctor, yeah. anything, if I just would have gotten involved. Right. And so um, my mom told me this quote after all this happened, and, to, and I, I'd never forget it, is, to the world, you're just one person, but to one person, you could be the world. And, if, and so that's been my motivation ever since that time. Yeah. Do you do you still feel guilt from that? Or have you all forgiven the time. yourself? And- every day, every day. 
It's, it, it, it's tough. In fact, I, it, there's, you know, I close my eyes and go to sleep. I still see his face. Really? You know, and not because, because I literally could have done something, yeah. mentor anything. Um, and I was so caught up in my own life. And that's why I, I swore uh, not only to him, to myself, but to his mom after this happened that I will never, ever let that happen again. Yeah. They'd be proud of all you're doing and all you've done. Since yeah, she's, then. It's, she's always been in my corner. So. Yeah. Yep. That's great, man. Um, yeah, that's always <laughs> tough when that happens. Oh, man. It's, it's, it's it, tough it, to forgive yourself, too, uh, even, even doing all that. It, it, yeah. And, you know, and that's, so that's important because everyone is. makes mistakes and you didn't do anything bad. You no. just, you know, kind of ignored someone twice and you're a busy right. guy in your mid 20s. And yeah, people it, do that shit all, you, the time, all the time. Right. right? All the and time. I, yeah. And that, but, you know, um, for some of us, you know, it's life or death out right. here, you know? And so, yeah, so that's why I'm like, I'm never letting that happen again. I'm, I'm, any kid said, hey, could you help me with this? I'm on it. Yeah. And, you know, um, yeah, yeah. Thanks for sharing that story. Yeah, man, it's always, it's always tough. It's still, right now it's even getting me a little emotional. Yeah. Yep. We can, yeah. we can uh, move in a more positive okay. direction and <laughs> move, move, to, move to the lightning round where. Okay, all right. I'll ask some of your favorite things about about the city. All right, here we go. Milwaukee. So, um, favorite thing to do in Milwaukee on a weekend? My favorite thing, and it's, it's actually very recent. Um, I have two favorite things. One, I really love throwing axes and drinking beer. <laughs> I'm gonna be honest with you. That is an absolute blast. Have you done it? No, I've walked by. I oh, live over man. there. The it's, axe bar. Yeah, man, yeah. it's unbelievable. So I love it. All right, so that's what. All right. Next Two, time you're going, text me. I'm, I'm texting you because it is an absolute walk blast. Over. It's an absolute blast. Absolute blast. So um, that, and uh, secondly, I've been trying to get my kids to experience the na- natural beauty of Milwaukee. They know the buildings and the asphalt and the cars and the bustling, but the and that's one of the reasons why I'm on the Urban Ecology Center board is that we're going to these parks to see. Uh, just last night, we did the 128 acres of Washington Park, Walk the Park, and we did um, the East Bank Trail just this past weekend. So we tried to get out and see the natural beauty of Milwaukee because, you know, they're city kids. So I want them to see, you know, there's nature here too. Right, right. Um, favorite sports team? Which sport? That's the question. Favorites. Okay. You can't, right. you can't, yeah. can't right. have Ready? three, three, fan, three yeah. answers on this one. The Chicago Bears. Oh, that's right. You're yeah. a Bears fan. I'm from Chicago, man. Right. Yeah, right. so yeah, that's my favorite sports team, hands down. Oh, you guys <laughs> have done well. Uh, hey, hey. Appreciate I, all you've done for the Packers. Over the years. <laughs> I, I, hey, here's the one thing I can say that's really great. I've seen my team win the Super Bowl. I've seen my basketball team win six championships. I see my hockey team win four Stanley Cups. I, yeah, I, I three. And so I, uh, I'm pretty happy. My baseball team, I'm a Sox fan, so I've seen the Sox the win hockey, the World The Series hockey team there. does good. <laughs> when, when was the Super Bowl? 84? 85. Remember, 85. I was alive then. I wasn't. <laughs> All right, so I was alive then, so I saw that too. Oh, man. Um, favorite restaurant in the city? Wow, so my favorite restaurant was circa 1880. Yeah. But yep. uh, they recently closed. So now my, uh, I have to say, uh, my favorite restaurant in the city is probably Amalinda. Oh, I've been there once. Yeah. It's a good spot. Yeah. Good spot. Uh, favorite local business? My favorite local business, Valentine Coffee. I probably, sp- I probably spend more time at Valentine Coffee than 
anywhere else. Which one? Uh, the one in Washington Heights. Okay. Right there on 5918 West Valite. Yeah. They got a good one not too far from here, up the road on KK. Oh, yeah. As yep. Well. Yeah. Yep. They got that one. Um, and then uh, what, are, what are you most proud of when you talk about the city to others? Okay. It's the thing I'm most proud of about the city when I talk about the city. Um, I would probably say our cultural scene here, um, whether it's uh, shows, whether it's acts that come to Milwaukee, whether it's sports. I mean, we just have so much going on in Milwaukee that I, you know, I it didn't, I know you were originally from Madison. So when I first got here, I, it, it wasn't like it is now. I mean, from the restaurant scene to the art scene to uh, we had sports teams, but success of sports teams, it's magical. I mean, if you've ever been here for a playoffs, Bucks playoffs, it's magical in this city. Yeah. You know, or a Brewers run, absolutely magical. Yeah. Yeah. That's all I got for you. Thanks so oh, much for man, coming yeah. on. Thanks for all you do for the city. And thanks for, and having thanks for me. opening up as well. I appreciate it. Thank you, man. Thank you.